Welcome into the Hoop Fiends. It's that time of year. This podcast is kicking into high gear. Playoffs are about to be underway, and we're going to be here to recap and preview and talk about and react to it all. Pods dropping weekly, sometimes twice a week, maybe sometimes three times a week if I'm feeling ambitious. But uh, this is our busy season, lots to break down, lots to talk about. It's the most fun to pod about, and we're excited to bring it all to you. I'm coming to you now on Sunday night, normally the night of a size up, but today uh, we're doing something a little bit different. Actually, it's Monday night. Uh, Holiday threw me off. Wow. Uh, So Monday, Monday size up here, Uh, but not really a size up. It's kind of a real pod, just a real solo pod to get ready for what's ahead and what just happened. Uh, We have some end of season storylines that I kind of want to catch up on and talk about as we head into the play in some game 82 reactions. A lot of stuff happened in the NBA on Easter Sunday that's worthy of talking about some award picks as well. My official award picks and choices for every major award. And then we'll get into the play in breakdown, the play in ahead uh, before wrapping up this pod. Where do I want to start? I'll start with the end of season storylines and just some things over the last like week or so since we last recorded that have popped up and will be major storylines trickling into the playoffs and will have major ramifications moving forward for the league. Um, these are all things that will have an impact on the playoffs, not really talking about uh, much of the worst teams in the league, except for one. There'll be a little exception, but we'll obviously get to that later. Uh, first thing I wanted to talk about and get this out of the way, Zion. Zion rumored to be coming back and of course yet again basically ruled out for the entire playoffs not officially by the Pelicans but I mean he was ruled to be progressing and playing like three on three basketball like three weeks ago and to be reevaluated in a couple weeks my conspiracy theory brain I was ready I was ready to make a run throughout the playoffs saying Zion could come back Watch out for the Pelicans, best team in the league when Zion was healthy. And they were earlier in the year, and I've made that take many times already on this podcast, but I'm just getting off the wagon now. I wanted to have some fun. I was really going to ride it, but it's just not worth it. I don't even think they're going to make it out of the play-in at this rate. Um, Zion is not coming back. I was delusional in my thought. I can admit when I'm wrong, and it seems like he may never be real in the facet of the league. It's like ridiculous at this point. I'm even talking about Zion injuries again, but I mean, what the hell, man? He had like a strain grade one uh, of a hamstring or whatever. It's not anything that should keep a player out like four months at this rate is what it is. Originally should have been like a couple weeks and then he re-aggravated it, whatever. It's just ridiculous at this point and it's upsetting. And he was a guy I wanted the Knicks to get so, so badly in the draft. And it's a shame to see what's happened to him. You can make fat jokes all you want or you can complain about his conditioning or the way he rehabs or the way he works out or if he really truly cares or not. I don't really want to talk about all that. I just am so disappointed. And I really, really thought he was going to come back this year, just like I really, really thought Kawhi was going to come back mysteriously throughout the playoffs last year. And I'm just I'm, I'm just not going to get my hopes up. I, it's not going to happen. This guy is a real problem. And I think next year is his true last chance to be relevant in this league. Otherwise, it's just going to turn into a situation where he just can't stay healthy. And that's happened before. Greg Oden, we've seen it with these types of uh on or just huge players and it's just a shame and it's starting to look like it's turning into that for Zion I hope it doesn't I hope he has a bounce back near year next year but I was hoping for a bounce back year this year and it didn't happen. 
I was hoping for one last year and it didn't happen. He just continues to get hurt and it's really, really upsetting. And I think it's going to be a shame for the Pelicans because I really, really thought they had a chance to make some noise in a wide open Western Conference. Still think they'll be difficult to play and not a team you really, really want to play. But without Zion, they don't have a true chance to come out of the West at all, let alone even make it out of this play-in, I don't think. But we'll talk about the play-in a little bit later. Just had to get some Zion thoughts out right away. Um, another kind of late-season storyline that's really, really fascinating or interesting. I don't know what you want to call it, but uh, Jalen Brown, a guy I've been touting as a potential future Nick. Um, I'd love to have a conversation with that about Riley soon on the Hoop Fiends Network. That'll be a fun one. Um, mysterious, mysterious hand injury. Apparently picked up at home dealing with a broken vase. Man, like, I want to believe that, and maybe it's true, but the odds of that being how he actually picked up that hand injury are slim to none. You can believe it if you want. I will definitely not believe it. Um, I'm sorry. You're careful when you're picking up a vase. You don't slice your hand open to a point where you need five stitches and have a bandage covering your entire hand, a whole-ass cast, basically, I'm not saying it's concerning for the Celtics or anything like that. I mean, it could affect his shooting. It, it's on his hand, like that's pretty important. Um, but I'm not saying it's gonna. I'm not saying it's gonna impact uh, the Celtics' playoff chances. But to me, it is a little bit ominous. And I just feel like the Celtics this year have had a lot of issues. Obviously, starting all the way back in the beginning of the season with Ime. And I feel like there's been multiple instances throughout the year where things haven't gone their way, where, whether it's Marcus Smart having issues, Robert Williams still not being healthy, and I can go on and on and on. I just don't think this is going to be the Celtics' year. I didn't think it was going to be their year necessarily last year when they made the finals, but that team, you could tell, was different and special and led by Ime, felt like they wanted it more than any other team in the East and were playing hard on defense and had the capabilities of making a run in the East this year. It just doesn't feel like they have that special, special ability. I think the Bucks are way more talented. I think the Bucks are way more well-coached. I don't think Maz, Joe Maz, is a good enough coach to get these guys motivated all throughout the postseason. I don't think Al Horford is going to be able to play as good as he did last season. That was one of the best postseason runs by a guy like him that old that I've ever seen. He hasn't been the same this year. I think it took a lot out of him. I don't think we're going to get the same Al Horford. And if Robert Williams isn't healthy, he's been up and down all year. I just can't see this team making a run. And this Jalen Brown weirdness kind of just rejuvenated that thought for me. This has been such a weird season. Even with Jalen Brown earlier in the year and his talks about leaving, I don't think his head's fully in it. You can say what you want about him, but just things haven't been right. Jason Tatum, as great as he was all year, he had like a month where he was a god-awful. Like, There's so much you could say about the Celtics team that's worrying. And, I mean, obviously it hurts that they're going to have to most likely play Philly in the second round, and that's just a chalk off the Bucks' back. The Bucks are going to sit back and probably beat up on the Cavs or the Knicks and watch Philly and Celtics beat up each other and get to take on the winner. I really find it difficult to believe that the Celtics are going to find a way to get out of the East this year. Another quick storyline to hit on. Um, I feel like we haven't given this guy enough love. Eh, I, I've given him a I picked him as an all-star. We've given him a decent amount of love throughout the years. But I wanted to talk specifically about Mikhail Bridges a little bit and just basically how he's turned into one of the best players in the NBA. I mean, he's not like a top 10 guy or anything 
yet, but he's an Iron Man. He played in 83 games this year, 82 and a half if you count the last game where he fouled and then just left. But he's turned into a real threat closing out games. He's a guy you can rely on. It's something you didn't really think that he had in him. Even this year, earlier this year, uh, there was a few games in Phoenix when Devin Booker and Chris Paul were out. Even DeAndre Ayton missed some time. And you didn't see this in Mikael Bridges. You didn't see a guy who could average 25 to 28 points a game, carry a team on offense. But that's what the Nets are getting. And I'm not saying they're like a dangerous team in the playoffs or anything, but I just felt like I needed to throw a little respect on Mikael's name because he's really turned into a superstar. And it's similar, I feel like, in a way to Laurie Markkinen in that Obviously, when you get thrusted into a role of being the leading scorer and being the go-to guy on a team, you you can take a leap like this. Um, so you add to Mikhail's top five defensive play on the wing, if not top three, if not even number one, he's a real, real superstar. And it should be interesting to kind of look back on that KD trade in three months or so to see what happens with this Suns run and what happens with this Nets Mikhail Bridges prospect and whether they want to flip him and what they could get for him in a potential trade or build around him in the future because he could be a guy you build around and I love him I love his talent and he's a guy you could root for and it's actually not annoying to root for him on Brooklyn I could kind of get around this Brooklyn team of wings and Dinwiddie and Claxton they're a lot of fun and it's a lot different than this Kevin Durant Kyrie Harden nonsense that we've been seeing for the last few years so a lot of fun in the Nets six seed Brooklyn taking on three Philly I don't see much of a chance for them but I'll be intrigued by those games I'll love to see how far Mikael Bridges takes his game in the playoffs as a go-to guy. We've seen him in the playoffs already and in the finals, but this is a new version of him, and I am excited to see where it goes. Which kind of leads me into my next point, um, the Phoenix Suns and Kevin Durant. Uh, we mentioned about two weeks ago or whenever we last recorded our full podcast that Kevin Durant was returning from injury, and it will be interesting to see the impact he kind of has on this Phoenix team and we'll kind of get a gauge on whether or not they are a true threat to come out of the West. And I mean, they are eight and I think maybe nine and oh at this point, I know they're undefeated with Kevin Durant in their starting lineup. And that is scary. Kevin Durant has won like 40 games this year um, where he's played in um, between both the Nets and the Suns. And he hasn't played a lot. He's only played like 45, 47 games. Um, I think he's like 37 and 10 or something like that. His record this year, it's absolutely insane. That's obviously not exact, but definitely close to something like that. And he's having one of the best seasons of his career, which is insane with all the injuries he's had to deal with the shooting percentages. He's the best mid range shooter in the NBA right now. And there's a lot of good ones like DeMar and Chris Paul and whatever, but he's leading the league in that category. And it's almost impossible to stop right now. And you add in that threat with Chris Paul and Devin Booker and even DeAndre Ayton, who I don't like that much, but he's an important player and this Suns team is definitely in my opinion the favorite to come out of the west not necessarily the team I'm picking but they just haven't lost with Kevin Durant how can you pick or how can you say they're not the favorite when they literally haven't lost a game with this guy in the lineup yes all three of those guys all of their stars can get hurt again but if you're assuming they're going to stay healthy you almost have to assume they're going to win the west because I don't see a team that can beat them it's an unfortunate matchup with the Clippers which we'll get into a little bit later but I just, I've just been really, really impressed, and I still do not know if I like it or not. I'll probably find out quickly in this Clippers Sun series whether or not I'm rooting for it and like it, and then I'll definitely find out in the series against Denver because I like Denver. So if I find myself rooting for Phoenix over them, I'll know I like them. But I'm probably going to lean Denver in that series in terms of who I'm rooting for. But just a team that we needed to quickly address because 
they're officially scary. They haven't lost, and I'm worried about them and worried about them winning the finals because I wouldn't be that surprised. Um, and I'm thinking more and more every day we're destined to have a Phoenix Suns Milwaukee Bucks rematch. Another quick hitter, quick storyline. Um, Andrew Wiggins, who knew he'd be back? Um, he didn't actually get into a game at the end of the season, but he is officially back with this Golden State team. And I would say, oh, many people would agree with me here, he is probably the second best player on that team. Um, he definitely was throughout last year's postseason. Clay has been good this year, so you could argue Clay, but I mean, Draymond, as good as he is defensively, is a minus on offense. So Wiggins is rebounding. Wiggins' defense on the opposing team's first or second best player, his shooting on the wing, his offensive ability in crashing the offensive class and not having to rely on a guy like uh, Kaminga, who is unproven, but I like him a lot. I think that's going to be an important return for this Warriors team. I think a lot of people are going to be going into this Kings-Warriors playoff series saying like, wow, the Warriors haven't been able to win on the road. Uh, the Kings are the three seed and underdog at plus 200, which is insane. The team, I think a lot of people like this Kings team, but then there's a lot of people who just are going to bank on this Steph Curry resurgence. But I think this Andrew Wiggins thing is going to be a really, really big storyline going into that playoff series. I think if he is a healthy and playing 36 minutes a game, Andrew Wiggins, and looking like the Andrew Wiggins from last postseason, I don't think the Warriors can lose, but they're really going to need him. Because without him, I don't know if they have enough firepower. They're going to be relying on Steph and Clay to get like 70 a game. Draymond's going to have to chip in. I don't know who else would chip in. So I think that is one of the bigger storylines of seeing him come back. Because we just didn't know if he was going to come back. I don't know if he's even said, came out and said what happened and what kept him out for like three months or so now was what it was. Um, but I hope he's in game shape. I'm going to be monitoring that. It's going to be really interesting to see what his effect on the Warriors is and if he helps them be able to win a road game because they're going to have to win a road game in Sacramento if they want to advance in the playoffs. So another interesting one there. All right. And now as we kind of transition into game 82 reactions, uh, we'll start with like a game 81 reaction that leads into game 82 reactions and the most controversial topic of them all the past like week or so. And I know I said I wasn't going to mention non-playoff teams in this pod, but kind of have to talk about this for at least a little bit, and that's obviously the Dallas Mavericks. Um, I have some personal biases when it obviously comes to this because the Mavericks, Mavericks were playing with the Knicks pick, and I obviously wanted the Knicks to get that pick. But I think, obviously, with what happened, Dallas, honestly, the most obvious case of tanking we've ever seen in the entire NBA. Obviously, we've seen the process, and we've seen the Spurs lose on purpose. We've seen the Blazers shut down Damian Lillard. We've seen obvious tanking. Never like this. Never a team that had a chance and was a game and a half or whatever it was out of the playoff picture and very much still in it tank like this. Two games left. It was after a game. I think it was against the Pelicans in game 80. I don't remember exactly who they were playing. Let me take a quick look to see who they were playing. Um, Dallas was playing, oh, Sacramento. It was a game against Sacramento, which Sacramento didn't really care about in game 80, where Kyrie Irving absolutely went off. I think he dropped like 30 points maybe in the fourth quarter alone. That's wrong. He had 31 points for the entire game. Maybe it was 20 points in the third quarter, whatever. But he took over and led that team to a comeback victory over the Kings. And you felt like, oh, my God, they're going for it. They're good. They have the scoring. They're not good, sorry. They were not good all year. But um, they have the capabilities to go out and get that 9 or 10 seed playing like this. And then the next day, uh, Jason Kidd and Mark Cuban, or whoever you want to cite from Dallas, comes out and says in game 81, 
We're not going to play Kyrie. We're not going to play Tim Hardaway. We're not going to play Christian Wood. We're not going to play Tim, or basically anybody in their normal starting lineup. I don't think, um, I don't even think like Maxi Kleba and Dwight Powell got to, show, uh, got to show up. So that's when you know they're really, really quitting. And the, obviously the weird twist in it all was Slovenia night. Um, in Dallas, they were hosting and promoting the fact of Slovenian basketball. They had a game against Chicago, who was originally slated to have Goran Dragic on the team. Obviously, things changed, but the promotion was already scheduled. So it was going to be a Goran Dragic versus Luka Doncic matchup. It was a whole big Slovenian promotion, and that's why Luka got to play a one quarter of basketball before hitting the bench, and he was benched as well, along with all the other guys I previously mentioned on Dallas. And, I mean, first of all, those poor Slovenian people who traveled and were so excited for this basketball game should be refunded every single cent they spent on travel and game. Mark Cuban should pay them out of pocket. Those are the people I feel really, really bad for. But there were people who just bought tickets in general thinking this game was going to matter because it sucks for them. But coming from a Knicks fan where I have bias and wanted that pick, I don't understand how people can actually be mad about this. If I'm a Dallas fan, I'm thrilled. We don't have a chance to make a run in the postseason. We barely have a chance to make it out of this playing tournament. Why would we want to sacrifice our pick? We say it all the time in this podcast. Everybody says it all the time. And NBA fandom being mid is the single worst thing you can do as a basketball team. They could have been 10th. That would have been cool, I guess. They could have went into, it would have been New Orleans and maybe win, maybe lose. Take on the loser of Lakers, Minnesota maybe win, maybe lose, and if they miraculously win both, probably get swept by Denver in the first round and then have no first-round pick to fall back on. As a franchise, Dallas made the absolute right call doing this. Do you agree with it? Is it a form of tanking? Clearly, should it be allowed? I don't think so, but in the rules of the NBA, according to how things are laid out, we've seen many teams tank many times before. I don't have a problem with them doing it. I think it was a little blatant and a little too obvious. They probably should have tried to hide it a little bit more, maybe say guys were hurt or do something, because it's a bad look when you're in contention for the playoffs to be pulling guys like that. But if I was a Dallas fan, I'd be thrilled. I'd want my team to be doing anything they could to keep that pick. That's just how I feel about it. Now, what it means for the NBA, I think things have to change. I don't know what it's going to be, but they have to find ways to prevent it. But as of right now, they say they want to limit tanking. They shouldn't be allowed to tank, but I don't see why it's different than what other teams are doing. I think a lot of teams are tanking openly, and even if it wasn't as obvious, Dallas knew this was the best single thing for their franchise to do. Now, in terms of their players on their team, Luka, and spe specifically Luka, I would be pissed. I would want to be playing. I'd want to be going out there. This means a lot to my legacy. I don't want to be a guy who missed the playoffs, and now he is. And is it on him? Yes, because he sucked a lot of the year. But it's also not necessarily his fault because he wasn't allowed to play. I would have made a stink. I would have been like, I am getting out there. I'm wanting to win this game. I want to make the playoffs. This means a lot to me. I want to make the playoffs. And he didn't. I guess he can't do that because it's up to his coaches in the end. But I think this affects Luka, and if I'm Luka, I'd be pissed. And I don't know where it's going to lead. I don't know if it's a sign of things to come with Kyrie and this franchise falling apart. And maybe Luka coming to the Knicks to join his buddy uh, Jalen Brunson. That'd be fun. Uh, but if I'm Luka, I'm pissed. If I'm a Dallas fan, I'm happy. And me personally, in my opinion, obviously I'm unhappy because I want the Knicks to get that pick. And would I be pissed if Adam Silver stepped in and said, you know what, Knicks get that pick anyway. You guys sucked at hiding your tanking. I wouldn't complain. But 
in terms of if I'm mad about it, no. I don't really think people should actually be mad about it unless you're a Dallas fan who was dying to be in the playoffs. Get over it. It's not that big of a deal. Every single team is tanking. They just did a bad job. And that kind of transitions me into some Game 82 reactions. Um, a lot of wacky, crazy shit happened on Easter Sunday. Some crazy games, some crazy performances, some crazy fights. Yeah, there was two of them. I'm um, going to be kind of talking about it and a couple of the games that actually mattered before we head into uh, wrapping up and previewing the play-in. Uh, the first couple notes I had uh, before we get into the real stuff. Udonis Hassel. How funny was it? The guy dropping 24 points, nailing like three threes in a game that just didn't mean anything. He's like 49, 57 years old. It's just so funny that he was able to go out there and score 24 points. It is a little telling about like these last couple of games. Um, it's like any, we always have the theory, like give a guy given 20 shots, he can get 20 points. If you, a 50 year old Udonis Haslam can score 24 in an NBA game that obviously didn't mean anything. It is just really funny. And it was funny to see him go out there and look like a fucking, I, I couldn't even, his jump shot looked so awful and it was just so funny to see it go in and he could barely move out there. And it was just so funny. Um, the other one was Kenny Lofton on the Grizzlies representing us big boys. That was awesome. He dropped 40 and 14. I think it was more than 40. How many did he actually drop? Let's see. He dropped 42 and 14. He shot 17 or 25, just bully ball. He was the G League MVP, dominated the G League all year. I think he has a future in the league just because of his uh, size and um, his mobility and whatever. I don't know what position he's going to play, but I mean, he scored 42 in an NBA game. Um, maybe give him a chance. I don't know. He's so fun to watch. His skills are so enticing. The Grizzlies have a lot of guys like that. It'll be interesting to see kind of what happens with him in the few coming years because he is undeniable talent. It's just the body shape and whether or not he has a fit on a positional scale in the NBA. But he definitely has the talent. He definitely has the skill, and he represented us well there. So really, really good to see. Just shouting him out a little quick on the pod. All right, the real stuff. Got to talk to you, Wolves. I mean, for the Rudy Gobert haters in the world, this was Christmas or Easter. It actually was Easter uh, for us because this was a masterclass of how bad of a player and teammate Rudy Gobert is. Gets into a kerfuffle with Kyle Anderson on the bench. Calls out Kyle Anderson for not getting a rebound. Kyle Anderson calls him out for not blocking shots. Calls him a bitch. Thus, Rudy Gobert throws a punch to the shoulder. Him, uh, Kyle Anderson, Torian Prince kind of come at Rudy Gobert. And now we're at the point where he was literally in the middle of the game, went to the locker room, was sent home from the team, and has now been suspended for the uh, play-in game against the Lakers. I think it's tomorrow night. Wow, this was crazy. Um, again, shows how bad of a teammate he is and a player that nobody likes in the NBA and it goes back to some Donovan Mitchell stuff in Utah. We're not wanting to pass the ball. He doesn't really know what he's doing with the ball when he has the ball. You can't really blame Donovan, and it's not surprising to see Donovan have an MVP-type season. Obviously not going to win it, but maybe a top-five MVP-type season. All-NBA, first-team-type season with the Cavs when he was unleashed from them and given two real bigs like Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. It's just... It's just bad. He's just that was one of the worst trades in NBA history, and it's undeniable at this point. And I'm gonna kind of jump in here and play devil's advocate because again, I just made it very clear how much I do not like Rudy Gobert. But man, I feel like I feel like it wasn't that big of a deal. Is that crazy? 
Like I've punched some of my friends, my great friends, harder than that. Like he, it looked more of like a shove on the shoulder. I know it probably was closed fist. I know it was probably a punch, but I just think it was a case of nobody liking this guy, no one liking this guy on the team, nobody liking this guy in the media, no one liking this guy anywhere, and then having the chance to jump down his throat. Because I could tell you, I've seen it first class many times in many different friend groups. If I have a best friend and I punch him on the shoulder like pretty hard, like we might argue whatever, but like nobody's gonna bat an eye about it. But if there's that guy in the friend group who no one really likes that much and is kind of like, oh, like I guess this guy's just around, and then he throws a punch at one of the friends you like, you're using that chance to jump down his throat. We can kick him out of the friend group. We don't have to hang out with him anymore. This is perfect. This is exactly what we've been waiting for. And I think that is a little bit more of what we're seeing here, if I'm being honest, because, it, again, it wasn't like the Draymond punch to Jordan Poole was way worse than this. And again, I'm not I'm not saying it wasn't bad. You can't be doing this on an NBA bench. But I think that's a little bit of how I feel what happened was because, again, it wasn't that much. It didn't seem that crazy. But that's beside the point. Obviously, he's a problem. He's not that good. And I think the T-Wolves did not stand much of a chance with him and I was ready to honestly come out on this podcast almost a viewing theory like Bill Simmons would like to say without him the team is going to rally and rally around the guys who they like like I'm sure they like Kyle Anderson I'm sure Torian Prince is one of their boys I'm sure they love these guys and are ready to go to war with them into the play and then go in as an underdog against the Lakers and show them what they're made of cat another year they had a great run in the postseason last year and through the play-in tournament but I think the straw that broke the camel's back was Jaden McDaniels or Jalen McDaniels, whichever one it is on the Timberwolves, you see a video of him also in game 82 throwing a punch against the wall in the tunnel and shattering two of his fingers, shattering bones in his hand. He's pretty much out, been ruled out for the postseason. I think that hurts them way more than whatever the hell this Rudy Gobert thing is. I think they could have rallied around this Rudy Gobert thing, made it a positive and played to spite him, played without him and showed him what they could do without him. And I could have seen a scenario where they win against the Lakers and Rudy Gobert is laughed at and not allowed back. Wouldn't have been shocked because him and Towns is just never going to work. Now, without McDaniels, one of the best wing, well, the best wing defender on the team, one of the best wing defenders in the NBA, honestly, at this point, he's really taken a step in the past couple of weeks on offense. He's become one of their best scorers. I find it hard to see them being able to make noise in the playoffs without him. And they'll probably have to bring Rudy Gobert back into the fold just because of sheer players' ability. They'll need to play. That being said, I'll talk about this in the play-in preview, but I would not be shocked if they still were able to rally around all of this and upset the Lakers, who everyone is crowning almost the Western Conference champion at this point. But we'll talk about that later. Just some crazy, crazy drama in that T-Wolves game. And obviously the game itself, playing against the Pelicans for basically – who gets the nine seed and who gets the uh, eight seed. Um, throughout all this, the Wolves won. Uh, maybe this was the game that I have been saying, like they're going to rally around and win. Um, maybe this was that game, and now they crash back to earth in the play-in. But um, amazing that they found a way to win. Anthony Edwards was awesome in this game and kind of fought against Brandon Ingram and in terms of star level, and he won the battle in the end. Just an awesome game. Um, not many games in the last Sunday of the year, game 82, end up being interesting. Like, we had that one Denver Clippers game that one year where uh, it was pretty much winner get in. We don't get that a lot. This was as close as you'll get, I guess, in terms of this year at least, and it delivered. It was a lot of fun to watch. 
Um, and then Draymond, I got to mention the Draymond tweet after the game, pretty much retweeting what Gobert said about him um, after he punched Poole. He came out and tweeted the exact same thing. I forgot what the exact tweet was, but that was next level trolling and another great reason why I love Draymond. Um, and then which would have made noise was the Bones Island and Mason Plumley little kerfuffle in the Clippers game, but that ended up being way overshadowed by all this uh, timbrel stuff. Um, but that was interesting as well. I thought um, that doesn't mean as much in terms of the I think that, that isn't going to affect much about the Clippers, but it was just interesting. And to see two pretty big teammate fights in one day was kind of fun. Um, and then last game, 82 thoughts. Um, it was basically... Uh, the most interesting storyline other than all this was the teams jockeying for the fifth seed in the West and a chance to play the Suns in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, the Suns obviously being, like I said earlier, probably the favorite to come out of the West. So it was interesting to see whether teams would want to take their chances in the Kings, even take their chances at a spot in the play-in tournament rather than having to face them in the first round. Um, the Clippers played the Suns, who were resting everybody. That day, the T-Wolves, uh, the Warriors played the Blazers and the Lakers. Uh, I think the Lakers played Utah, another team that was pretty much given up. All three teams found a way to win. Sometimes you see uh, an upset prevail on games like that, but all three found a way to win. The shakiest was the Clippers, and that's the one you were like, oh, are they going to just like throw this game? Like, all right, Golden State, have fun. We'll take the Kings, or we'll take a shot at the seven seed and just play the uh, Grizzlies if we lose whatever like have it but it turns out they rallied back <laughs> took down the Phoenix teams led by Saban Lee um, when uh, Clippers were playing all their starters which is so so funny um, but in the end it didn't really get that interesting because all teams won um, I think the Clippers definitely were thinking about whether or not they wanted to win but ultimately they did that last year if you remember they were kind of like ah we're not gonna play for the seed we want to We'll deal with uh, the play-in, and then they lost in the play-in. So I don't think they wanted to get uh, too weird this year. They just said, well, let what happens, happens. And now they're like a plus 400 underdog to beat the Suns in the first round and don't have Paul George. Um, unless he comes back, I don't see much of a chance for them. But that was interesting to see kind of play out as well. All right, awards. Um, I'm sure we'll kind of talk about this um, on the – Hoop Fiends playoff preview as well. We'll have some Hoop Fiends awards like we did last year. We'll give out some awards for our favorite players to watch, favorite teams to watch, um, maybe some made-up awards. We'll have a little of that for you guys as well. And we'll talk about the real awards on that pod as well. But I wanted to give my official picks for every award pretty quickly and some explanations. Um, as they're fresh in my mind, as all the media outlets are giving their picks for this award and kind of where I stood on everything, even though we've talked about a lot of it already on the pod, I kind of want to get it on the airwaves. I like talking about it. We did the little preseason picks pod as well, where I gave you my gambling predictions uh, to win all these awards. So it's a nice little recap to kind of see where I stood in the beginning of the season and where I stand now. Uh, we'll start with uh, MVP. I've made it pretty clear um, for the season. I was picking Joel Embiid for the narrative um, throughout the year. I've been defending him. Was there bias? Probably. But in the end, I kind of just felt like he deserved it more than Giannis and Jokic and who I think is the best representation of this regular season, who I remember the most looking back at this regular season, it's not going to be Giannis. I don't think I can think of some extremely memorable Giannis moments this year. Um, he had that game against Embiid a couple of day, uh, a week or two ago. Um, that was a great game, but he was embarrassed by the Celtics. He's had some hiccups. Um, I just can't think of a special, special Giannis moment this year. Maybe that's a recency bias. Maybe it's 
my head just picking whatever. I mean, obviously he was awesome, but, and then Jokic, I mean, he's had his moments too. The Christmas game was one of the best games I've ever seen and him being able to pull out that game. Um, but to me, to be a three-time MVP, he can't be worse than he were last year. And by the end of the season, he wasn't even going for it. He didn't seem to care. The team didn't seem to care about any of this, about being one of the best teams in the NBA. And it's just hard for me to pick a guy who doesn't care and isn't going for it. And he ended up only averaging 9.8 assists. I think that's big. I said it shouldn't be, but not averaging a triple-double, I think, hurts his case because other than that, is all, all his stats are worse this year. Um, he isn't great on defense, and I hate to shit on him because he's my number two for this award. But that's just all the cases against him and why I'm voting for Joel Embiid, who pretty much dominated all year, was a, right on defense all year where Jokic wasn't, had the best season of his career clearly, averaged the most points pretty much. I think, is he officially the uh, NBA's leading scorer? Uh, yep, 33.1 points a game. Um, obviously also averaging 10 rebounds, four assists. I don't see how he doesn't get this award. Um, I'm glad I've been backing the right side. I've backed Jokic the last two years. I felt like he deserved it. Uh, but this year, it just didn't seem like it should be Jokic. Um, Coach of the year, pretty self-explanatory, Mike Brown. I mean, the job he's done with the Kings has been awesome. Um, I don't know who else would even be in contention for this award for me. Um, kind of looking at the... I love. I still think Jock Vaughn gets no love for this for what the job he was able to do in Brooklyn, forty five and thirty seven. Even after losing those guys, very very impressive. Um, I want. I'm curious. I don't have the numbers, but I'm curious to see what the Nets' record with him was, and as opposed to Steve Nash. If you take out the Steve Nash games, I think Jock Vaughn would be my second choice there. Six man of the year. I'm going uh, manual quickly. Um, I think you can get weird with this one. I feel like he's Malcolm Brogdon. And quickly, the top two candidates, I just don't think they deserve it. Um, whether you want to get weird, I might even pick Austin Reeves for this. I think Austin Reeves might deserve it um, more than any of these guys. I think he had the crazier season and had the best uh, – best. Imp- I don't even know if that's true because I think Manu quickly had the most impact out of all these guys. Um, Malcolm Brogdon was consistently coming off the bench and was solid all year, but Manu quickly mattered to his team way more than a lot of these guys off the bench – and, like, you could look at stats. Like, I still argue as bad as Christian Wood was, his stats off the bench were insane. But he stunk, and the Mavs stunk, and you can't reward him for that. Um, and it's hard to find a guy who, like, really, really fits the mold of um, stats and impact. Like, you have the other people uh, receiving votes. Like, Norman Powell, he missed a lot of games. His stats aren't there. He doesn't he doesn't actually impact the Clippers that much. Um, Malik Monk, same thing. He doesn't even close out games for them very often as much as he can score for them. Um, I just find... I don't really find good candidates for this award this year. Um, I also kind of want to pick Austin Reeves, but I'm going to pick quickly just because of the Knicks um, and the impact he's had. I think I would go quickly one, Austin Reeves two, and Malcolm Brogdon three as my official six-man picks. And Bobby Portis, I might like – he should be in the top three too because the season he had was – this award was so weird this year. Just no one gained traction that deserved it, in my opinion. Bobby Portis on the best team – uh, in the NBA, averaged almost nearly a double-double, 14 and 10, and they just don't respect bigs off the bench. You know what? Scratch everything I just said. I've never done this. I usually have my picks made up on these pods, but I'm flipping past the deadline mid-pod. Bobby Portis is my sixth man of the year. He deserves it. Best team in the NBA. Impact. Fit in whenever he was needed. Started a few games when nobody was healthy. Um, and just the best stats. I think that matters for sixth man. Um, Bobby Portis won. Quickly, two. 
Austin Reeves three, my official picks, but quickly can't go wrong. Cause I think he was very, very important for the next success this year. He's awesome. I love the guy. Um, I just think stats matter a little bit and stats as a six man were not that good. So my official pick for six man, Bobby Portis, a little controversial there. Um, I don't think anybody's really voting him number one for six man rookie of the year, Paolo, uh, no real needing. He was the leader of his team, team that won 34 games, could have been worse. Um, he's going to be so good in this league. I've talked about him so much. I love the guy. Um, my controversial thing would be that Walker Kessler would be my number two. I just think his impact on defense is unmatched between rookies. We've never seen a defensive center like him in the NBA ever. He's already better than Rudy Gobert, in my opinion. I think you wouldn't even consider trading Rudy Gobert for Walker Kessler straight up. Um, let alone all the picks that the T-Wolves gave up for Rudy Gobert. So I love Jalen Williams, too. He's awesome. He'd be my three. But in terms of impact and um, on a – I mean, similar teams. Obviously, OKC got the 10 seed, but teams with similar records. Um, I think SGA does a lot more for that OKC team um, than Markinen does for the um, Utah team. And I just love the impact of Walker on defense. I loved him out of the draft. I just love the player. That's a little biased, but not that important. Palo is your clear – Rookie of the year. And that kind of leads me into most improved. Um, I've made it pretty clear on these many pods that Lori Markinen is my pick for this award. And I don't even think it should be close. Um, I think that's more out of respect for SGA for me. I love the guy. I knew he was, I didn't know he was going to be a 31 point per game scorer, but I knew he was capable of averaging near 28, 29, 30 points per game. He averaged a lot of points before. I've seen his skill level. I knew what he was capable of. I, he definitely took a leap and exceeded those expectations, but I knew he was this good. I knew he could be a I, – I didn't know he could be a number one guy, but I thought he could be a borderline number one guy, definitely a number two guy on a real playoff team, and he led a team to the playoffs as the one seed. Awesome stuff. Would be in my MVP consideration, probably the number four or number five pick for MVP, but it's just not what I'm looking for in a most improved player. I thought Laurie Markkinen was a best for all player. I liked, him at, uh, I liked him out of the draft. I liked him beginning his career in the Bulls, but he looked done. He looked like a role player in the Cavs. He looked like a role player um, on the Bulls when he was there. And when he was traded for Donovan Mitchell, I laughed and said, the Jazz got Laurie Markkinen when they could have had R.J. Barrett? Are you serious? Are you dumb? Um, nope, I was dumb. R.J. Barrett sucks. Laurie Markkinen is a potential superstar, and he's the most improved player because I was flabbergasted to see how well he played. Um, so he's my most improved. Um, feel really good, good about that one. Um, I think that leaves me with Defensive Player of the Year. Am I right? Yep, it touched upon everything else. Uh, Defensive Player of the Year has been back and forth for me between Jaron Jackson and, or sorry, not for me, has been back and forth through the odds and general consensus picks throughout the entire season was Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brooke Lopez. Um, if you listen to any of the Sunday size ups, and I don't know if we've talked about it much on the regular pods because we never really talked about Defensive Player of the Year, uh, I felt like neither of them deserved it at all. I feel like Brooke definitely doesn't deserve it. And Jaron Jackson was the better defensive player. I just questioned the amount of minutes he played. Um, Brooke Lopez isn't even the best defensive player on this team. I know he had, I know he played good. He was a good defender on the Bucks. Like, I get it. But the name value, the star power, the third best defensive player on the team, you cannot have my vote. You never would have had my vote. I don't know how he's being considered for this award, in all honesty. It's kind of landed me on Jaron Jackson throughout the year. It's been who I've been picking, and it's been um, it's been against my will. I haven't really felt like he deserved it, and he barely played. He plays like 28 minutes a game. He missed like a lot of games at the start of the year due to an injury. 
and it didn't feel right, but he averaged like three bucks a game. It was crazy what he was able to do in li in those limited minutes. So I kind of felt there, but I kind of had an awakening. I don't like to do this on after listening to the Bill Simmons podcast. My preseason pick for Defensive Player of the Year was Evan Mobley. I've been defending Evan Mobley and saying he should be considered for this award throughout the year, and I eventually just gave up because it was gaining no traction. And I'm listening to Bill on Sunday, him and Ryan Rosillo, both ended up voting for Evan Mobley, Defensive Player of the Year, as have a few people whose ballots have come out. Now, if I didn't hear that, if I didn't know people were actually giving him the respect, I probably would have voted for Jaron Jackson because that's just that's just who I felt like people were picking, and I didn't want Brook Lopez to get it. But knowing that there is actually traction out of nowhere for this Evan Mobley thing, I wish it happened weeks ago. It should have happened weeks ago. He's the best defensive player on the best defensive team in the NBA, a team that's taken a leap. He's taken a leap as a defender. He can defend all positions as a big man. That's incredibly valuable. Brook Lopez and Jaron Jackson are not guarding guards, especially Brook Lopez. Um, his contested shot numbers are insane. His defense at the rim is insane. Everything he does, and as the anchor of the best defense in the NBA, Jared Allen said it, Donovan Mitchell said it, the coaches have said it, Media experts have said it. I just couldn't believe he wasn't gaining traction. I'm happy he's gaining traction now. He's my vote for Defensive Player of the Year officially now that I know he's getting respect. I know that's like a cop-out, um, but I'm admitting the cop-out because, again, he was my preseason pick. And the guy I was picking throughout most of the year, if you listen to uh, the size-ups and the preseason gambling pod, uh, the, gam uh, the preseason award picks. So it's not like a cop-out. I'm picking Mobley. I would never copy Bill Simmons. He usually copies me, but... I'm taking his pick here and kind of running with it because I agree with him wholeheartedly. And I'm happy he's finally getting that respect a little bit. I still think Jaron Jackson is probably going to come away with this award, um, but I don't think he deserves it. I really, really don't. So go Mobley here um, as if my vote actually matters and I had a real vote. But those are my official picks. Just wanted to get those on the airwaves. Um, all right. Last but not least, the main order of business, a little play in preview. We got four playing games coming up the next two nights. Very excited for uh, kicks off tomorrow with the Atlanta Hawks and Miami Heat. Um, everybody knows where I stand on Miami. Miami's 24 and 17, I think, at home. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know these numbers. I know Miami's good at home. Atlanta's not good on the road. Jimmy Butler is a different player in these playing or playoff games, I guess. I don't know if it's technically a playoff game, whatever, but I think he'll be motivated. He'll be ready. The Heat have uh, been more, had more continuity all year. Bam out of bio, Tyler Hero. Uh, they brought in Kevin Love. They just have more. Um, willingness, I think, to go in and win this game. I think the Hawks have been checked out for a lot of the year. Quinn Snyder has pretty much already said he's packing his bags and might not even remain as the Hawks coach um, following the end of this year. He's seen what a shit show it is. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up as the Toronto coach by the end of things and things are all said and done. Uh, I just think Miami is playing better right now, has home court advantage, and a real nice home court advantage um, in Miami. And I know Trey Young has shown up in these play-ins and playoffs before, um, but this year, it just isn't it for the Hawks. I'm obviously going Miami, and I'm going to pick them, obviously, to make some noise against the Celtics if they win this game and get the 2-7 matchup. won't say they're going to beat the Celtics, but I really, really want that matchup. I couldn't say the Heat are going to lose this game because I want them to play the Celtics so bad, and that's good for this pod. So go in Miami in that game. Uh, the Lakers, eight-point favorites against Minnesota. Um, obviously, we kind of talked about um, all the drama with Minnesota coming to this game, and now we have the Lakers. Uh, with LeBron and AD fully back healthy, D'Lo playing okay for my standards, but whatever. People are saying D'Lo's playing well. Um, Austin Reeves has been on fire. Vanderbilt's been good for them. They've been solid um, the, to close out the season. Everyone's going to be picking them in this game. Um, 
I think I'm still going to pick Minnesota for shits here. Um, I think both of these teams ultimately probably, uh, eh, well, I'm not going to say that. I think if Minnesota loses this game, they're going to lose out. But I think uh, the Lakers are either going to win this game or win the next game, no matter what. Uh, I think the Lakers will be in the top eight seeds. But I think nobody's given Minnesota a chance this year or this, in this game, obviously, with all of the controversy surrounding them. I think it's a good buy low opportunity. Mike Conley has been really, really good uh, for this Minnesota team. They've been good since he took over. I think it's going to be hard to overcome the McDaniels loss. I don't know. They're going to be relying on Torian Prince and Kyle Anderson on the wing a lot more than they should be. Uh, but I think Carl Anthony Towns um, is up for a battle against Anthony Davis. Obviously, Anthony Davis is a little bit more of a man and might be able to bully him a little bit. But I think they at least have a big body they could throw at him. Um, they can make they could pull Anthony Davis away from the rim um, and be able uh, with Cat's ability to stretch the floor, obviously. Um, like I said, Mike Conley has been um, a godsend for them in terms of just running the offense and getting the team into sets and whatever. And I think Anthony Edwards has proven in the playoffs already last year that he is um, probably about to take a leap if he has the chance, but he is so, so good. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to go out on the limb and say he's the best player in this game, I don't think he is. I think Anthony Davis is still the best player in this game, uh, but I think he's the second best player. I think he's better than LeBron at this point in his career. Obviously, LeBron is still special and averages 30, whatever, but in terms of just sheer athletic ability and just being able to run a team, I don't think LeBron has that anymore. He's still awesome, um, and he's still LeBron, but give me Anthony Davis or give me Anthony Edwards over him right now at this point in their careers, obviously. I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. Um, everyone's got to pick the Lakers. Everyone's picking the Lakers like to come out of the West at this point. Everyone's already counting on the Lakers-Memphis matchup. Um, another thing in in my uh, thorn in my side, or not thorn in my side, I don't know. The thing in, that kind of I like leaning this way about is I think storylines, obviously this would never happen, the Mies not rigged or anything, but I think destiny-wise, it would be interesting to have a Memphis-Minnesota matchup rematch 2-7. That's another thing in play for me. So um, obviously, Minnesota been here before. Um, picking them, don't feel great about it, but that's going to be my major upset pick. Again, everyone's picking the Lakers, so it gives me a chance. I think I think they're sleeping on the T-Wolves a little bit after what happened in Game 82. I think they're better without Gobert. Um, you could say, oh, Gobert would have been able to guard Anthony Davis. I don't care. They're better without Gobert. Um, moving into the next game, or the next day's games, um, Toronto-Chicago. This one's interesting. Toronto, another team that's kind of seems like they're ready to pack their bags. They've closed out the season 10 and 5. They've been relatively hot, but Nick Nurse has reportedly been out or going to be out as head coach. Um, they have talent, obviously, with Pascal Siakam, Fred VanVleet, Scotty Barnes, if you like them. I don't. OG, they've been good since they got Pirtle, whatever. They have a better team on paper. I just think DeMar DeRozan going into Toronto is going to put on a show in this game. Um, a team like Chicago, they they have nothing to lose. They they know they'll probably get swept um, no matter what in the playoffs. But I think they will win this game. Levine, you could say what you want about him, but I think he's a big game player as well. Um, I don't think the Toronto has a matchup against Vucevic that they can really take advantage of. You like Pirtle as a defensive player. You don't like him as an offensive player. So he's not really going to be able to bully Vucevic like some teams the big are going to be able to do. Um, I like Chicago in this game. I really do. Um, I think the Pat Bev play in there is a thing, a narrative. I think he could be the best play-in player of all time. 
Um, I think he wants to win this game. I think that's a weird thing to say. Um, again, storylines in my head, it would be funny to see Pat Bev go on a run. Um, him and Caruso are, are menace in the backcourt to deal with. Um, and then obviously you have DeMar DeRozan and Levine doing all the scoring. I just think it's a fun, weird team to have to play. I don't think Toronto's completely all bought in and wanting to go on a run. So I'm going with Chicago um, in that game. Um, and then we have the New Orleans OKC. I'm picking New Orleans here. I just have to. Um, I think based on what I've said throughout the last couple of pods, I have to pick New Orleans here. Um, but OKC is going to be a problem. SGA is the best player on the court. Um, but the, they have no size after that. I feel like Jonas Valanciunas is going to have a big game in this game. OKC doesn't have a center to put on him. They won't have a big body. Brandon Ingram, no one to guard Brandon Ingram. Well, they're just not as talented. And I love the spunk that they have. Josh Giddy is one of my favorite players in the entire league. Jay Williams has been good, but I just don't think they're going to have the experience um, other than SGA to step up and win a ball game that matters this much. Uh, I think they're going to be playing with nothing to lose. I think it's going to be a close game. I don't think it's going to be easy for New Orleans, but in the end, I think they're going to find a way to win it. Uh, and then from there, I do think, um, so going on my official picks, uh, I have the Lakers losing to Minnesota. So I have the Lakers beating uh, the Pelicans at that point. I'm abandoning my Pelicans to make uh, the Western Conference Finals and win the championship prediction. Again, I said earlier in this pod, that was a failure and a miserable prediction. I banked on Zion coming back, and that was a failure. And I'm an idiot for the third straight year, basically. Um, so this is the third straight year I picked the Clippers to win the finals, and the third straight year I've made a stupid prediction along with it and a sleeper, uh, oh, this guy might come back from injury, watch out. You know, it's wrong. I'm wrong again. I'm only good at predicting certain things. That's not one. i got to stop making these outlandish conspiracy theory predictions. But I will say, if t the T-Wolves lose to the Lakers, which I'm not picking, but if they do, I think the Pelicans beat the T-Wolves because I think that's just a sign that the T-Wolves might be spiraling a little bit out of control. I think the Pelicans will be a little bit more of a force to deal with. They made it out of play in last year. I wouldn't be surprised if they did get over the T-Wolves because I'd think that they're spiraling a little bit out of control there. Um, and I have the Bulls beating the Hawks. I think the Bulls, again, the Hawks just don't really aren't cohesive. They're not really dying to advance out of this thing. I think the Bulls, DeMar DeRozan's old. He doesn't care. He just wants to win. He wants to play. He wants to make the playoffs again. He wants to he'll score 30. I think the Bulls wind up advancing. So my official picks are the Bulls and, of course, the Heat. And then uh, the T-Wolves and Lakers advancing in the West in the end. But my uh, – Contingency is that if the Lakers beat the T-Wolves, I have the Pelicans getting the eighth seed, then I'm probably getting washed by the Nuggets. Unfortunate for me uh, that I said the Zion stuff earlier. But hold me to it. I admit when I make a bad take, and that was one of them. Uh, my official prediction is to come out of the West and East and whatnot, and NBA playoff predictions uh, will be on our um, NBA playoff preview pod which will be coming later this week we'll have an official pod like i mentioned earlier to break down the rest of the postseason the fiends will give their award picks as well we'll give out some awards um some made-up awards that we kind of want to highlight from throughout the regular season and then we'll go through the whole playoff bracket make our official predictions um luckily i'll be able to pivot early from that Belgian prediction and the big question am i going to pick the clippers for the third straight year i picked them in the post uh preseason the last two years i picked them in the postseason last year will i do it again You'll have to tune in to find out. Other stuff. Screen Fiends. That sound new? Uh, it's because it is new. Uh, the Fiends Network has expanded. Uh, fellow Fiend Johnny Oz has taken um, initiative and pretty much launched the Hoop Fiend or the 
Screen Fiends, which is going to be a podcast covering TV, movies, recapping it, previewing all different sorts of stuff. He is running the um, uh, Farewell Pod for Succession. That's the first pod that is launched on that network. Um, things will come eventually, I'm sure. Uh, but that is going on there. Follow them at, at Screen Fiends on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find the links in our bios on at Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Um, and then, of course, I'm breaking the silence. Another piece of news. Um, the Ravens have signed Odell Beckham Jr. Um, I think this means a lot of things for the Ravens. I'm going to give it a few days, probably next week, hop on the airwaves to see if my team does anything with Lamar Jackson. But the football fiends will officially be breaking their silence next week. I will be on and to record to talk about Odell, to talk about the Ravens, to talk about any Lamar Jackson updates, my thoughts, my opinions, and everything of the sort. And maybe we'll have JP on as well to break down free agency to have that for you guys. Um, again, you can follow us on at Spot on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok to stay up to date on all this that I mentioned. Um, you could subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to get all of our latest episodes. That would really help us out. You could like, share, subscribe, um, leave a review. Just do all that. It would really, really help us out. Um, and we thank you for listening. And until our playoff preview in a couple days, we'll catch you guys next time.